You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1096 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday, and today's podcast is the first of the regular season variety. Now, obviously, the Hawks don't open until Thursday, but we're getting close, and that's sort of the theme of today's podcast, some nuts and bolts, some grab bag kind of stuff to hit on on this show. And also, we thank you for making Locked On Podcast your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, again, I said my name before, it's Brad Rowland. I am a writer on the staff at Diamond Uproxx. I'm also the host of this podcast since 2016. I've been covering the Hawks for a long, long time, almost a decade at this point. I was running Peachtree Hoops before this, so I guess it's a good time as people are jumping on the podcast for the first time to introduce myself in a more thorough fashion. So that won't be every single podcast episode, but if you're a new listener, welcome aboard and we'll dive right in here. Please subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. On the news front... Over the weekend, the Hawks did make some transactions, in fact, three of them at the same time. Um, And none of them were a huge surprise, but they're all worth talking about on some level. So Johnny Hamilton, Daquan Jeffries, and Evie Watson were all waived by the Hawks. All three guys were on non-guaranteed contracts for training camp purposes. And the ultimate goal on the team side is to get all of these guys to College Park if possible. Basically, on Exhibit 10 contracts, you give these guys uh, a... A bit, of, a bit of a money um, you know, guarantee of some sort, but not a, not a ton of money. There's a threshold of $50,000. has to be below that. And basically, you give that guy a contract. You can waive him during or after training camp. And then um, as they pass through waivers, they can go to the G League team in College Park. They'll have their rights for the G League. So that's sort of the aim on that. There's definitely more details I can get into, but not really important at this point in time. But I'm sure on the Hawks side, they want all three, all three of those guys to go to College Park. The player has some agency. They don't have to go to College Park. But uh, obviously, they're not going to be on the Hawks roster for this season, at least at the outset. Um, As a refresher, the Hawks were carrying 20 guys on their training camp roster. That is the maximum that you are allowed to carry during the season of any kind, um, even in training camp. In the offseason, there's definitely more flexibility in some some respects. But um, once the season begins, you have to get down to 15 on the roster, uh, plus the two two two-way contracts. So basically... You could have 17 players, 15 guys on full NBA contracts, and then the two two ways. But the Hawks were at 20. If you take away the three guys, that being Hamilton, Jeffries, and Watson, you go from 20 down to 17, and that makes a lot of sense. That was the assumption the entire way, but now it's official. Um, What is not official at this point in time, nor would it have to be, I guess, is the status of Timothy Wawu Cabarro. I got a lot of questions about this when the Hawks announced the the, the decision to waive Jeffries, Hamilton, and Watson. Um... TLC's contract is different in a way that it that it's set up. It's not it's not a camp deal necessarily. He's on a non-guarantee, but he's obviously an upper echelon player compared to those the other three guys. And more importantly, uh, it's still non-guaranteed. So they don't have to make a decision. They don't have to say, look, we're going to add TLC to the roster. He's already on the roster. So the one decision that you have to make if you didn't want would be if you didn't want to keep him, if you wanted to waive him. And right now, the Hawks have no reason to do that. Um, obviously, TLC is not going to start for them or play them play for them every night. 
but he does provide some quality depth. He actually was a rotation player at, at times for Brooklyn last year on a good team. Um, he's not as good as any of their four primary wings. He's not as good as DeLon Wright. He's not as much of a priority as Jalen Johnson, for instance, but uh, or even Skylar Mays maybe at this point in time. But uh, TLC does bring you a little bit of a, of a different element. He's like a legitimate, like, you know, big-time small forward size kind of player, um, good athlete, etc. So without going all the way into that, I like keeping him around if possible. And because of the non-guaranteed contract, there's not a whole lot of risk there. So um, at the end of the day, the Hawks might announce a final roster, but they don't have to do that. Right now, they're under, they're already a legal roster at this point in time. And if, if they want to move on from TLC at some point for that roster spot, use it some, on something else, they can do that until January the 10th. That is the league-wide cut-down date. So at that point, if he's still on the team, he'll be guaranteed the rest of the season but that's still almost three months away. So keep him around. He obviously won the mini battle between himself and Jalil Okafor for that final roster spot. And uh, I would definitely endorse keeping TLC around as the season begins because, again, you know, wing depth is something that every team wants to have and not every team can put together. Um, the other piece of news from the weekend is that the Hawks exercised their team options on three of their young players. And there were some questions about this when I tweeted it out, so I wanted to provide some context here. Um, first... This is kind of a no-brainer on every front, which is why it was like a bigger news deal. Uh, I think I was the first one to tweet about it of the local media, but still, it was like a, it was an announcement the Hawks made. Um, I was prepared for it because it's something that's always on my radar because it has to happen every year if you have first round if you have first round rookie scout contract players on your roster. But essentially, all these uh, three decisions that were exercised are all team options and they're on rookie scale contracts. Players that are drafted in the first round are on the rookie scale for their first four seasons. And the Hawks have three of those guys they had to make decisions on, and I use decisions loosely because these are, again, very much no-brainer decisions by the Hawks, but they're all with team options. So um, it could be a little bit more dicey with some guys who are not like really working out as lottery picks in other places. If you have a guy who's drafted in the top five or ten and they're not really working out, there's enough money that they're actually owed that it becomes a decision. Like Marvin Bagley is a famous one right now because Marvin Bagley, his fourth-year player option, is a lot of money, but it was already picked up. Um, there are guys where you could see their team options uh, declined, their rookie scale options declined. With the Hawks, the three guys in question are DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Anaka Kongwu. All three of those guys are no-brainers at this point in time. It's different if something crazy happens or an injury or whatever, but for now, no real decisions, just kind of uh, the nuts and bolts and the logistics of all of that. So essentially, the rookie scale contracts are guaranteed for the first two years, then you have team options for year three and year four. So it's always, you know, talked about four years of team control, plus you are restricted in free agency. Uh, but the actual guarantee for the player is two years, the first two years. It has to go very, very wrong to have your third year option declined just because, you know, you have to make that decision before the second year. That's something that's also worth emphasizing here. You're making this decision a year in advance. So all of these contract options that were picked up by the Hawks over the weekend were for the 2022-23 season. So everything on the roster for this year with Hunter, Reddish, and and uh, Okongwu was already locked in. These are for the following season with regard to their, uh, their money being locked in for guarantees in the third year and the fourth year. So, for instance, the Hawks exercised the third-year option for Okongwu over the weekend. Um, before his second season begins. And he'll be making now, he's now guaranteed to make about $6.4 million in his third season in the NBA um, as the number six overall pick from last year's draft. Um, the fourth-year options are for, again, Hunter and Reddish before they enter their third season in Atlanta. Hunter 
making a lot of money because he was the number four pick in the draft. That rookie scale is scaled by where you were drafted, and Hunter being a top four pick, it's a lot of money. He's actually going to make a nine-point million dollar salary in his fourth um, in his fourth season. So that's a bunch of money for DeAndre. He's obviously going to be worth that, which is why it's such an easy decision on the Hawks side. Um, Reddish will make less than that. It's about five point nine five million dollars. That's still a decent chunk of change. Like if Reddish had just shown absolutely nothing, you could decline that. Um, but obviously he has shown enough to be uh, certainly worth investing in on that, and that's sort of an easy decision throughout. Just for some context, Kevin Herter, who is uh, about to play on his fourth season, his deal is for $4.2 million in the final season because he was drafted much later. He was the number 19 pick overall in the draft. Collins had a similar deal, similar deal obviously, in, the sim- in a similar time uh, draft slot, but being that all three of Reddish, Kongwu, and Hunter were top 10 picks, they're making more money and all of that is the case. So, again, nothing surprising. They're just kind of locked in for their third and fourth seasons, and we'll return to that if we need to. Uh, one final reminder on the contract front is that Kevin Herter, who I just mentioned, his extension deadline for his uh, contract, potentially, um, is 6 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you may have already passed that deadline, or between, at least between now and the next podcast, we will pass the deadline for Kevin Herter. So um, they have until 6 p.m. Eastern time on Monday to find a deal. Again, there is nothing that says either side has to find a deal at this point in time. If they do sign an extension, the Hawks and Kevin Herter, it would not begin until the following year. So his contract is guaranteed this season for $4.2 million. That's not changing regardless of what happens with the extension. So this year's this year's salary cap, luxury tax, all that stuff, not impacted. But future considerations, obviously, in play. Um, Herter uh, might compare himself to Mikael Bridges, who got a four-year $90 million deal on Sunday. I'm sure that his representation might aim for that kind of deal. I think Bridges is a little bit better prospect than Herter, but you know we'll see where they land if they do land somewhere. And as we saw a year ago with John Collins, not signing an extension is not like a big death blow here. Um, obviously, both sides wanted different things. Herter wants security and to uh, maximize his earning potential, whereas the team wants to yes lock him in, but also get a good value deal in doing so. So. Both sides want to get something done, they've said multiple times, and we'll see in the next few hours whether they actually are able to do that. All right, before we get to the other stuff on the, on the podcast today and get away from the news just a bit, a word from our sponsor today's podcast, and the first is Prize Picks. Attention, NBA fanatics, I have to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, that only, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. Prize Picks offers any prop that you can think of. In football, it's yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an overrunner on their projections, you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You can take the over on LeBron, combine with the under on Mahomes in the same entry, and that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show is also brought to you by DirecTV. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. 
Well, I want to tell you about the simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before. So you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, and we'll dive into the next segment now. And honestly, this is one that I wasn't going to attack necessarily on the podcast. I tried to let it go, but I got enough questions where I kind of have to respond in almost mailbag fashion. So ESPN does this annual future power rankings edition for the NBA where they kind of look ahead. And the criteria this year for the future for the future rankings is for a three-season time span. It's for this year next year, and a 2023-24 season. So keep that in mind. It's a three-year sample, and that is relevant information. The Hawks were number 16 on last year's list, but last year was actually back in May. So it was actually late in the season last year, so it's kind of recent. Um, Hawks fans were upset at the time about how low they were. We talked about it on the podcast a few months ago. I understood that because I think they were probably too low on that list, um, especially when you factor in they were in the middle of a playoff run. They were pretty hot at that point in time. They were healthier at the end of the season, etc. This year, the Hawks are number 11. So that's a five-spot jump. That's not nothing by any means. But after you make the Final Four of the NBA, you expect, especially with a young team that is on the ascent, it seems, to be a little bit higher than that. So Hawks fans were not pleased with this ranking, and I totally get it. Um, The rankings are broken down into five categories. It's like a pretty interesting formula. Um, You could certainly knock it or praise it, but it's formulaic. It's not like a set of people just sit down and rank these teams um, willy-nilly. They kind of do five different categories, break them down, and then they rank from there. Um, the players are the biggest portion of the formula. It's 58.1%. That's a random number, I know, but that's the number. Um, that basically accounts for the current roster and their potential for the future when you factor in like departures and projections, etc. The Hawks were 12th on that list. That seems a little bit low to me, just because obviously this is a team that made the college finals last year. And they are pretty loaded for the future. They have a superstar in Trey Young. They have some other guys who are like top 50 players in Capella and Collins, maybe even Bogey, etc. Plus Hunter is on the ascent. Like it's a little bit low for me on that one. Uh, management is worth the second largest piece of the pie. It's about 17%. Um, and that basically describes the quality and stability of the front office ownership and coaching. The Hawks are 15th there. That's not crazy to me. It's probably a little bit low. I think McMillan is probably a better coach than that on the baseline level. Um, the jury, I think, is out on some level on Tony Wrestler because he hasn't had to pay the tax yet. But for now, I think he's not like a net negative. I think he's just kind of a fine owner at this point in time. And Travis Schlink has his strengths and weaknesses for sure. But I think that Travis has done a great job in the draft. Like, that's kind of without question at this point in time. So he's done a very solid job building a contending level team. So that seems a little bit low again on this one for me. Nothing like outrageous, but definitely low. Um, the third category, um, actually, these last three are all weighted the same. It's money, market, and draft. The money portion is the projected salary cap stuff for each team and the ability and willingness to exceed the cap and pay the tax. The Hawks were 20th here. Um, I'm sure part of that is that they have a lot of money on the books. Now, I think it's pretty much all good money, which is a positive on some level, but we don't know um, until they do it whether the Hawks will pay the tax or not. Obviously, they're setting it up in a situation where... If they don't pay the tax, it's going to look 
very weird because they've kind of made a bunch of moves to put money on their books. And if they go out of their way now to avoid it, it's going to look pretty bad. Um, but they're skeptical, at least the ESPN panel is skeptical of this. I kind of get that because I'm someone who always waits until an owner pays the tax to assume they're going to pay the tax because everyone says they're going to do it. And then it's different if they actually have to do it. But the Hawks have spent money. So I'm, I'm more encouraged now after the Capella extension, et cetera, and the Collins deal than I was a year ago about ownership and that willingness to spend. So that's a little bit lower um, than I would be on the situation with the money. But there you go. Uh, the market is part of this as well. This is so objective. Like it's, you know, what it is. I, I've always said, and I said even about the Braves this week, that I think Atlanta being called a small market is just like ridiculous on every level when it happens. It really, really, really uh, frustrates me. Uh, just for re- just for reference, uh, the Nielsen ratings of market size, the Hawks, uh, the Hawks, the Atlanta is the number seven media market in the country. That's a big market. Um, obviously, there's this decades-long debate about the Hawks town versus NBA town thing. But we saw last year, this is that you know the Hawks fans rallied around this team. There were a lot of new Hawks fans, which is pretty cool to see on some level. So um, market being 14th, like I don't know, what, I don't know what that's based on. Obviously, it's a top 10 market in terms of size. It's a big NBA market; it always has been. On the flip side, the Hawks um, have not always had the most, um, let's just say, rampant fan base outside of the diehards. The diehards are always there. But they've had trouble for years, at least until the Trey Young era, in drawing fans and all that stuff. So they, there's that stigma still attached. I think it's kind of largely gone for me at this point in time after the way that they've responded, the city's responded to the team in the last couple of years. But 14th doesn't seem like completely ridiculous, even if the market's bigger than that in my mind. And then the draft is the last part. It's 16, uh, the auction number 16 there. And uh, that's basically just based on future draft compensation that you have coming in and going out and draft positioning. And honestly, the Hawks have all of their own picks in the first round, and they're getting the, uh, they have that extra, you know, that extra fake first rounder. Uh, but like, they're basically just like kind of net neutral, which is 16th. That makes a lot of sense. So um, there's, there's nothing you can really do short of making trades to acquire draft picks to improve that. So that's why it's such a small part, but uh, that's kind of just what it is. Um, I saw some complaints about the order, obviously, up and down, but Miami at five and Philly at 10 were the ones the Hawks fans had the, had the most problem with that I saw. Um, Miami at five seems crazy to me, given how old they are as a roster. Uh, Jimmy Butler is certainly on the back half of his prime. Um, Bayon Abayo is awesome as a young player. Kyle Lowry is pretty old. They don't have a lot of depth. That seems a little bit high to me. Uh, they, they, of course, have the number one management ranking. I'm not sure I'd go all the way there, but Spolster is awesome. Uh, Pat Riley is Pat Riley, so I get all that. Um, Philadelphia is number 10 ahead of the Hawks. Um, given where they are with Ben Simmons, I don't know how you could really do that. Honestly, um, you could say Embiid is awesome, and he is. But um, you know who's going to age better between Embiid and Trey Young? I think they'd probably go with Trey Young. Um, Embiid, I think, is probably better right now in, uh, in terms of like performance because he was probably the MVP on a permanent basis last year. We maybe a top three or four guy in the league, but he has an injury history for sure. At any rate, uh, I'd have the Hawks ahead of the Sixers. Uh, I'll say that. And the other thing that I will say. About the write-up here, uh, Kevin Pelton was the one that was asked to write up the Hawks section. And Kevin's actually been on this podcast before. It's been a while, but he's been on the show. And I like him a lot. I think he's very good at his job. But the one thing that's included here is that the uh, ESPN list, quote, expects Atlanta to be in the top 10 next time. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because it's a, it's a future-facing list. So if you're giving out a future-facing list, why are you projecting future top 10s? If you're already there on them, why don't you just put them in the top 10 now? I don't really understand that kind of dichotomy, but alas, there was some positive stuff shared about the Hawks. I guess it's more of a more of a positive nod to say that they expect them to be higher next year on the list. But um, all that said, 
Probably a little bit too low. Um, the category stuff, as we went through, was a little bit uh, a little bit flawed in some respects. But that's my thoughts. I got, I think, maybe double-digit questions about this. So I figured I'd handle it on the podcast. And hopefully that is wrapped up nice and tidy for everybody's consumption on this podcast. All right, before we get to the last segment on the pod today, or from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is Built Bar. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calorie range is 130 to 180. They only have four or five grams of sugar and they only have four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Okay, and finally, our friends at betonline.ag, a sponsor of this podcast, they released a bunch of player props for the season over the weekend, and I thought this would be a pretty good preseason uh, exercise before the season actually starts. So we'll go through those real quickly. I'll give my thoughts, and if people uh, are interested in checking that out at BetOnline, they can do that after the podcast. So the headliner is Trey Young. Um, and by the way, the Hawks have several guys listed with, with props, but um, there are only a few that have more than one. So we'll, we'll start with Trey. Trey's over-under for, to- for scoring average this year is 26.5 points per game. His over-under for assists is 9.5 assists per game. And usually on like over-unders with a half, um, it's a full number. But this is this time it's actually an average. So you can actually be, you could lose a under 9.5 if somebody averages 9.6 where they don't have to get to 10. Kind of interesting note there to point out. And you actually push on 9.5 if you average 9.5 assists. Um, anyway, Trey averaged 29.6 points per game in the second season and 25.3 last season. So um, this splits the difference on some level. I think it's a pretty good number. I th- I'd probably lean under, honestly, at 26.5. Not because he can't average that, because he obviously can. He's a great scorer. But he actually averaged a little bit less under McMillan last year than under Pierce early in the season in terms of scoring. Plus, they should be a little bit healthier, and I'm not sure um, if that will take away some shots from him. But I think I'd probably have to lean under as a result of that, given what he did last year under Nate and uh, the scoring average from last year. But still, that's a lot of it's a lot of points, and Trace certainly capable of going over that number if things were to break differently. On the assist side, he's averaged 9.3 and 9.4 the last two years, and the number is 9.5. So obviously, no strong take here. I think that's where it has to be in terms of the number. Um, no huge opinion. I think he's a good candidate, though, to lead the league in assists. So if you're um, operating with that assumption, um, maybe leaning over might be the way, or maybe uh, trying to vest some other way on that. But I think Trey is my pick again to lead the league in assists. And last year he finished second in total assists. I think he's going to lead the league this year. If, my, if I had to pick one guy to lead the league in assists this year, it'd be Trey. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I think he is capable of going over, but I wouldn't go over. That's a pretty good number, I think. Uh, John Collins. His numbers are 17 and a half points and 17 and sorry and seven and a half rebounds. Last year on the scoring side, he averaged 17.6 points per game after 21.6 the previous year and 19.5 the year before that. 
I would lean over 17 and a half. I think it's a reasonable number, but he's done it three years in a row. He's gone over that number, even if only by 0.1 last year. And I think he might play a little bit more on the whole this year. But um, that's we'll sort of save that for a second, for a second from now. Uh, Rebounding-wise, this is one that I actually like a lot. He averaged 7.4 rebounds a game last year, so he actually would have been under this by 0.1. But he averaged 10.1 the previous year and 9.8 the year before that. And I think more than anything, his rebounding went down because of Capella. And Capella is awesome. That's not a knock on him at all. But I think that John is probably going to play a little bit more without Clint this season, especially early in the season when he is kind of the backup center of sorts in some respects at times with Gorgie Jang. They're not going to treat Gorgie Jang as a guy who they absolutely have to play a certain amount of minutes. Whereas with like a Kong Wu or whatever happened before, I think they're going to play Collins more at center early in the season. So that will help him. I think he might play um, play more overall. I think he's just a better rebounder than this. So I would lean over on this one. It's probably my favorite one of the ones we talked about so far. Uh, Clint Capella, his are he's actually the last guy that has more than uh, more than just one listed. Capella is over under 14 and a half points and over under 14 rebounds. Last year he averaged 15.2 points per game. That would have been an over, obviously. He's only been over this number twice, though, in his career in terms of a score. I would probably lean under, but I wouldn't touch it because I think it's a pretty good number at 14 and a half, so we'll leave that one there. Rebounding-wise, though, um, I'm going to be a little, a little bit skeptical. Not, not a ton, but last year he led the league at 14.3 rebounds per game. He had never been over 13.8 before, and now his number is 14. So last year was the only season in his career he's gone over 14 point, uh, sorry, sorry, over 14 rebounds per game. He could go do that again. He is capable of that. But if you give me all the evidence on the other side, I will take the under, even if slightly, and he'll average something like in the 13 range. That's still a lot of rebounds, but I would lean under on that one. The rest of these are all just scoring props. So DeAndre Hunter, 15 points. Bogdanovich, 16 points. Herter, 11.5 points. Gallinari, 12.5 points. Reddish, 11 points. And Lou Williams, 10.5 points. So we'll start with Hunter. Uh, 15 points last year was exactly what he averaged. So that's kind of a, just a punt by Ben Online. I think I would lean over um, when you factor in that he was over this until late in the season when he kind of was just playing less and dragging his numbers down. I would probably lean over, but not one I'm not going to run to uh, wager on by any means. Bogdanovich is over under 16 points, and he averaged 60.4 points last year. This is my favorite one of, the, of any of the Hawks bets, is Bogey's over on scoring. So last year he went over... Um, I don't think he's going to average 20 points a game like he did the last two months, but he's going to shoot a lot. Um, he's going to play a lot. He's durable. Nate McMillan likes him a lot. Um, he's not shy at all. So I think if I had to pick one player to finish third on the team in scoring, it would be Bogey. And uh, he could be uh, dangerous like in the 18-19 range. So I would lean over on this one. It's my favorite bet of all of these for the Hawks. Kevin Herter, 11.5 is the number. He averaged 11.9 last year. I would probably lean over on that, but I wouldn't bet it. Keep, keep in mind that last year he played 31 minutes a game for the Hawks. If I had to guess right now, I think he plays less than that just because of the health. Um, you know, when guys are out, he'll play more. But if Bogey and Hunter are both healthy, it's hard to see Hunter averaging 30 minutes a game, in my opinion. So that's probably the only thing that I'd be skeptical of on some level. Um, Gallinari is also one that I actually like the over on. Um, it's 12.5 points. He averaged 13.3 points last year. Um and he has not actually gone under this number since his rookie season. That's more than a decade. Now, he's going to play less than guys might want him to. If you have a bet on his over, you're wanting to play more. But Gallinari averaged 24 minutes a game last year and still went over this number. I think he can probably do that again on both counts. So I would lean over on Gallo. Last two are Reddish 
and Lou are tough ones. Uh, Reddish, a runner of, of 11. He's basically been around there in both years. Um, I can see why the line is 11 because of that. Um, it'll come down to playing time. I am not willing to guess on this one, honestly. I think, you know, maybe lean over just because of opportunity and talent. But I don't know what to make of how much, how much he's going to play early and often this season. And then Lou Williams is actually one that I actually like the under on. Lou uh, averaged 10 points a game exactly for the Hawks in 21 minutes per contest after arriving via the trade. This one is going to come down almost exclusively to how much he plays because Lou is going to score. That's kind of the one thing that we know he's going to be able to do when he plays is score. But um, I would go under because he got under this number last year without DeLon Wright on the roster for the Hawks. Granted, it was a small sample size, but I think I project Lou to play less than last year on a permanent basis, than on, on, sorry, on a per-game basis than, than, I, than he did last year. So factor that in, and even if he scores a bunch, a bunch of times, if he plays less, you're probably on the right side of that one leaning under. So hopefully that makes some, some sense to you. I'm not telling you uh, to write to go out and uh, check out that online and, uh, and use what I'm telling you, but uh, it's a cool thing to uh, check out player props, and uh, there you go on that, and that's kind of my quick thoughts on all of the Hawks guys. Um, again, the NBA season opens on Tuesday evening with a national TV doubleheader of the Nets-Bucks and Warriors-Lakers games. The Hawks open on Thursday, of course. We're getting close to that. I'll have a couple podcasts with guests, hopefully, between now and then, so please stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to this podcast. Leave five-star ratings if you enjoy the show. Also, written reviews. Tell your friends, tweet about us, quote tweet us, share us, whatever you want to do to get the word out about the podcast. I'd very much appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.